Welcome, everyone, to the Between Two Wheels podcast, episode 176. What a barn burner episode 175 was. I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to do a little bit of recapping on that, kind of eh, some fallout here and there. Lance Armstrong, he decides to follow in the footsteps of Michael Jordan. He does his own documentary on ESPN. Didn't we already have his last dance? We'll see about that. Nationals postponed again. So life goes on, or does it? We're in flux on that. We review the Netflix documentary, the 2019 Movie Star Team. Things that go, make you go, hmm, some winners and losers. And what did Kurt say? Not much. He's not talking much right now. All right, everybody. I uh, hope you've enjoyed some of your time off. I don't know, time off. People who are working, some people aren't working, but we're here. We're here for you. So, look, um, I'll save the recap of 175. This is our interview with Paul Mitchell. Uh, we had a discussion about liberty versus security or security versus liberty. And uh, there was a little bit of fallout in that. Um, people, actually, I haven't heard from Paul. Paul, how, how did you think it went? I, I thought it was fine. Um, Kind of the synopsis there is I uh, brought Paul on. There had been some back and forth, some shaming going on in, on Facebook and, and around for people not wearing masks and you know, riding in groups. I said, hey, come on the show. Let's have a talk about it and have a good discussion. So then my goal right then was let's talk to Paul personally, get to know him. Um, it helps diff diffuse a lot of the uh, – you didn't want to come in and just have this antagonistic conversation because I actually wanted to have a, a helpful conversation. So you can see his points of view, you can see my points of view, and I didn't try to push back too hard. So I'm not going to do that necessarily now either, but there are a few little things I wanted to just um, to bring up. We'll have a little, little discussion came maybe about that. And then um, kind of some of the things people were saying online. But um, other than that, uh, I thought it went pretty well. So, hey, here's all to that. All right, let's talk about, um, I want to go over the, you know, I'm thinking maybe I would like to do a breakdown of, the Netflix episode by episode kind of go through each one, especially now. I don't know if we're ever going to get back to racing, but of the TV documentary with the movie star team. Um, it's on Netflix. I highly recommend it. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit of that, of what's going on. But before we do that, I thought we'd just quickly say the Lance Armstrong 30 for 30 documentary is coming out. I have not um, seen it yet. So the first episode, this is uh, Tuesday. It's um, the 26th of May. Yeah. Do we have April? Seems like we even have some of these months are just flying by. Um, so 26th of May, yesterday, uh, Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day to all those out there. Um, it went um, 30 for 30. I think it, it debuted either then or Sunday. So they had you know two episodes, part one and part two. So they've already done them. Uh, I have not seen it as of yet. Uh, I would like to do so. But... Um, ESPN, they're planning, they, they want to do this. They just finished their nine episode thing of Michael Jordan. It was somewhat uh, propaganda showing his last six championships uh, with the, the Chicago Bulls, his last dance. It was produced by Michael Jan uh, Jordan and it kind of had his propaganda fingers all over it. I don't think um, Lance is going to have that kind of authority. And matter of fact, just some things I, I saw out there already, it doesn't look like he had much to do. And some people were saying, why would you, why would you go through with this, Lance? Um, it was not very helpful. Well, he's still got an ego. Um, maybe they paid him for it, and he's still looking for that. Um, Jimmy Jeremy Whittle of uh, Cycling News, who wrote in his first look, upcoming 30-30 part series, delves into Armstrong's pool of bitterness. Jeremy um, closes the article with, 
Throughout the film, there are many glimpses of the boneheadedness and rage that served him, Lance Armstrong, so well as an athlete, but that also proved to be his downfall as a human being. Ultimately, Zenovich, that's the, um, the, the producer, Lenz, like his mistaken comeback to cycling in 2009, is unforgiving. Midlife Lance appears a sad figure, unable to escape his past, however hard he tries. Uh, this is a good article. Look, and some of this, um, I was planning on putting this out before the, the show came out. Didn't happen. So uh, I would like to see that. But uh, look, we all know the Lance story. And I think, you know, one of the, the, the shocking revelations was that he was doping, I think, his first year as a pro. Yeah, there may be a few things coming here and there uh, that he you're going to find out about. Uh, you know, this is kind of spreading out over into the, everyone knows who Lance Armstrong is. You know, one question I've started to say, why is the postal service supporting, uh, cycling? Well, you know, you have this with, uh, all throughout the world, the lotto, you know, they're, they're state run, um, Bahrain, you know, who knows why people are, I don't know why the U S postal service decided to do that. Um, it ended up backfiring on Lance quite soundly because that was how, that was how um, Landis was able to actually go after and get some money was due to the fact that he was uh, using the whistleblower statute uh, as a government agency, you know, defrauding them, da 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 and he was able to get his $5 million, which he put into the Floyds of Landis, or Floyds of Leadville, sorry, uh, cycling team, uh, which lasted, what, a year? So at least, you know, gave some riders some, some chance to ride and make some money. Um, good for them. So check that out. I, I, I'm, I would like to to take a look at that because I'm a, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. So I will watch it, of course, and probably report back on it. If you've seen it, why don't you um, let me know what you thought of it already and if it was worth the watch. Uh, some of this is just going to be, you know, the, the back and forth and who are the other people involved uh, and whether, you know, I just saw and read about it yesterday on Cycling News. They had um, an article about rock racing. Where are they now? And that was actually a fascinating little read uh, because it went into, you know, a bunch of different writers. Rashawn Bahati, uh, Justin Williams was with them at one point. Our own Adam Switters here in the Northwest. I mean, sorry, the, uh, Northern California here lives in uh, Folsom as well. Uh, he rode for that team. He was on there shortly. Mike Creed was on there. A bunch of guys, you know, then you had Kyle Legrand, which, you know, full on doper. He's two years into his eight year suspension with them. I mean, he's kind of a a known hothead and, and freak. Um, and I, that has nothing to do with his tattoos. It just has to do with him uh, chasing people, roid rage, roid, allegedly, in the parking lot uh, after race there in Visalia. So he's a little bit um, half-cocked and, and a little strange. But that was an interesting read about a, a, a interesting team that took out you know, Cipollini to Sevilla, uh, Oscar Hugo Pena, um, some of these you know big guys that had been doing some. And you know, started out kind of a small team. I remember... I raced for the Wyoming professional cycling team in the nineties. And that was kind of, we started out with a bunch of us that migrated from the university of Colorado team. Uh, we'd done well in nationals. Uh, a coach then was starting a team and he kind of was putting all of us on the back burner and using some of his older people that didn't really, we, we beat up all the time every weekend. He had an A and a B team and, um, he was Wally was his name and he was, he was putting them as the A and we said, screw that. So we found our own sponsor. And we did a little shop. Um, Todd Hegman uh, rode with us. He was, he's one of the main directors of the Tour of Utah now. He, he helps do that. Uh, I should get him on the show, see how he's doing and everything. Anyway, he was, he was, he brought a little bit of money in there. Uh, we had a, a flagrant, you know, am, top amateur team in the area. Nothing great. But then the, the owner 
got a little excited. And next thing you know, you have Chris Weary's coming over. He didn't ride for us, but his dad was trying to negotiate something. He was on Taya chain at the time and he ended up not going with us, but, uh, Chris Weary, uh, national champion at one point with net net. Um, what who's the team? He rode with Sayers anyway, when that, uh, so we had some other people looking at us and then, then you had some of these old stars. They found that there was some, some possible money involved in sponsorships. So they all come out of the woodwork. We have Michael Carter. We have Steve speaks, uh, Chad Gerlach ends up coming over Dirk Friel, um, Roberto Gaggioli at one point it was, uh, and then it kind of just was the demise. Chris, um, Oh, what was his name? He, he's a, he was a good sprinter, had a little issues over there at Saturn at one time, maybe a suspension or two. Um, but you had, you had a bunch of guys coming over and it was a bunch of the older guys that were kind of, you know, on their, on their way out. And, um, so it was, it was an interesting, it reminded me of rock where you're, you're trying to pump it up with some names. So you get Cipollini in here and some of these others. And what an interesting way to, you know, it kind of, it's not so great because you see some of the younger guys, the Justin Williams, Bahati, uh, uh, Adam Switters, Olerhausen, Olerhauser, one of those guys, um, you know, just kind of just washes them out in a sense uh, because you get all this excitement and money coming in and then you bring in the old guys and, and what you're able to only able to do when you have that kind of a team that's not quite there, but you want to have a, a facade that it's really there is you get some of the older, amazing former riders who can't get a contract because that's the way it is in pro cycling. It just kind of is a drop off. So, um, saw that with rock racing, uh, a good, good article. I would, I would suggest reading about it. Uh, if you want to do more, there's some times if you ever find Mike Creed's old podcast, cause they don't have much written, but it doesn't look like they contacted him. They're just saying like, Hey, Mike's, uh, he's managing a volleyball team. Um, but go back to some of his old podcasts and, take a listen to what he said about it. Um, obviously some crazy, crazy thing with that Michael ball guy in his rock and Republic, uh, designer jeans and all that stuff. Netflix. Okay. Uh, take some, uh, I finished an intriguing. It's Spanish language saga followed movie star cycling team during the 2019 tour, our season, uh, focused on the three major tours. Um, the Giro, obviously the tour de France and then, um, the, the Vuelta, uh, it was fascinating to watch visually because I've mentioned this before. It was really, really well done as far as the visual part of it. I loved it. Um, it wasn't Spanish, so you had to, you know, watch the subtitles, which I think you probably lose a little bit in there just because you're always trying to read it and then you're trying to look back and, and do that. So if you if you know Spanish, um, kudos to you and more of an advantage for watching that. Uh, it was interesting to see how much of a disarray actually everyone w- that we witnessed in the tour that it actually seemed to be that way kind of in the team, and I'm, I'm sure you know, I'm sure most teams have some of this, but there was just a weird aspect to the managers and the directors seeming to always reacting to the writers rather than directing them. And I'm sure that's tough. It's got to be in any sport, you know, basketball, you get, you know, LeBron James, are you, are you really the coach? Are you really the one is talked about Michael Jordan, you know, Phil Jackson, was he really the one in charge? Um, and especially when these other players and stuff and the, the, the writers are getting paid more than you. Well, it didn't look like to me that they were so much because they were always kind of reacting. And you found out uh, a few things. Here's some of my takeaways. Um, well, first of all, you had the Giro. You had um, Landa and Carapaz conflict. You had the Tour, Landa, Nairo, and Valverde conflict. And then in the Vuelta, you had Valverde and Nairo conflict. So some takeaways. Uh, Valverde, he controls the team. He's 
consulted on strategy, which you, you know, it's a given, but he appears to be kind of overriding the authority. I think it was a tour de France or meeting with him individually before one of the big stages. He's telling him how it's going to go. Then they meet with the team and then they tell the team as if they're the directors telling everyone what they think, but they're just spouting off. And this is edited. So um, I imagine it's, you know, in the best light possible for that. Um, he only, he drives the team cars after the races. You're done with the race. He's doing interview or whatever. He drives the team cars down. You could just see at that point that he is the man in charge. Um, he seems reasonable, but it's uh, it's really his way or else. So, you know, how reasonable. I don't know. It's on the editing, I think. Um, he has no real love loss for Superman, Lopez. Um, he did seem to respect Roglic. That was kind of in that Vuelta where the team took off and and Lopez is, uh, it's the crash day and Lopez is complaining and they're saying, oh, you know, Valverde and he's got the um, the uh, rainbow jersey on and he just, he, he rides like a piece of trash type of thing. Um, Valverde did not like that and he called him out. He did say in that same thing, he said um, Roglic was respectable. So that was, that was kind of interesting to see. Uh, Nairo, he was truly, truly unhappy with that team. Uh, I think he'd been burned so many times that it was difficult for him to like kind of fully engage in the team tactics and actually trust what they're going to do like ever because he was uh, he would like there was one time where he's in the break and he's trying to go up the road. I'm trying to remember. I think it was a tour. And then Land ends up coming up to him and doesn't even look at him, just goes right by. You know, there's like no communication. But I think he kind of knew his pots. He knew what he was supposed to do. He tried to make he was racing against the the, the, the teams. He was racing against his own team in a lot of respects, trying to uh, hold his position. And he just didn't really ever trust that if he wasn't up the road, that he was going to be left behind by them. So that was a, was a little interesting. Um, he seemed like Greg LeMond during the 86 tour, where he was warned by tour officials to watch his food and bike for suspicious mischief uh, due to Bernardino. Uh, he just felt, you can see that he was concerned about that the whole time during this this, this whole filming here. Um, once he decided to leave the team, you can tell he was truly sad about it. Um, it did seem very relieved actually to do so. Uh, it was weird, weird, the tour ending dinner, he thanks his team, he says goodbye, I think this is after the Volta, and it is really awkward to watch. It's like the cheating spouse, and this is the way you, you see it, because the team doesn't do any wrong. So. Nairo's leaving, and in a lot of respects, you feel like he got kind of shafted on there. But he's being put, he feels like he's being pushed out. He's leaving the team. He's like the spouse just decided to cheat on the on the family and go with their mistress, leave the whole family behind, and everyone's just looking at him with contempt. Um, but in the reality is, uh, that's not kind of why the way it is. It's just the way it appeared on there. And, you know, he seems more sad about it than perhaps they even do. Uh, Landa, he seemed most fragile mentally. Uh, he had the support of the team on more than one occasion. He had it on the tour. He had it in the Giro. Yet he felt like he could, he, he would just always fail. And he was expecting to fail. And so then when he did get himself into, you know, he, he appears to not trust the team. So maybe some of that is seeing what they do to, and, and the way he rode with Nairo, perhaps. Um, Carapaz, it was really eye-opening to see him. He, he wins the Grand Tour, the, the Giro. <clears throat> when that Giro was set up to be for Landa, uh, but he ends up overtaking and, and just, rocks it um he has somewhat of the team support right away yet he's not clearly and, and, and he seems to be like a little fragile on that mentally too they, they did a nice little recap about his home life and and him growing up in ecuador and some really cool stuff then and then um there was a problem because i think he was supposed to either ride the tour or the vuelta and he injured himself in doing a, a race that they 
said he wasn't supposed to do. It was like a, some sort of criterion. And they, the team just rips him up and down. You know, you're not loyal. You didn't do this and this. And so from that point on, there's this divide and the management just takes him on completely, rips him apart. And he's like, yeah, I took the money. I went to a better team. Ineos, eh, what are you going to do about it? Uh, Mark Seller, he's a true baby in this. Uh, and you see that in the tour, uh, in the Vuelta, when he's, you know, raising his arms up and he's complaining and um, he called him out. He's still upset about it. He's at some point kind of acknowledges that he can see that their their points are right. And actually on this one, they they, they seem to be right. They actually had their tactics correct. And he was just uh, flailing and, and totally upset about it, not to get over that. Um, the attack during the wet stage where they called out Roglic and Lopez, uh, they claimed it was all planned prior to the stage. They apologized, Landon, Nairo, and Valverde. They do an awkward planned video at one point, um, and you can tell it was fully staged. This was actually during the tour so the, the 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 wreck and stuff I think happened during the Vuelta, but then they do this three man video where they're all oh we're on the same page and look at us and it's it's super awkward and uh, they admit then that it was all staged. They were trying to do some media ploy and it uh, it went awry. It didn't quite work out. So look, I'd suggest it's like six episodes. Sit down sometime. Your spouse probably you know, maybe she or he is uh, falling asleep. And you can watch it uh, on your own. I would suggest it because it's uh, it's entertaining and it um, it was it was it was well worth it. So and plus, what are you gonna do right now? Because we're not having cycling. However, that is starting to come up. So the the UCI has now released their calendar. They said, hey, we're actually gonna have cycling on board, and they have packed it all into the last part of the year. They're going to do the tour. They're going to do the Vuelta. They're going to do um, the uh, Giro, and here is what we have looking up. So um, it looks like we're going to start August 1st. We're going to do Strada Bianca, and then you have a smattering of stuff here. You're going to do Tour of Poland, Milan San Remo, Cardinium du Daphne, Ride London National Championships. We're going to throw those in in August. So then Tour de France, August 29, throw in the Tour. Trino Adriatico, I mean, the mishmash, the way they're doing this is, is crazy. Uh, GP Quebec, Montreal, World Championships on the 20th of September. And I'm not remembering where that is exactly. Uh, and then you can follow that up with Fletch Le Wallon, Brinkbank, Binkbank, sorry. Um, then the Giro. So the Giro is going to be in October, October 3. Now, It'll be interesting and because weather uh, might start to be a problem with some of these. You know, you have August tour. Tours in August is probably just fine as far as in the mountains. We talked about this with Chris a few episodes back. You know, the Giro, if you start planning it out, what's going to be the weather in October in the Dolomites and some of those surrounding areas? Maybe might have to be cutting uh, short some stages. Uh, Liège is going to be Sunday, October 4th. So you're not going to be able to do the Giro in Liège. Amstel Gold, Vevelgum. So you get the Ardennes Classics there in October during the same time as the Giro. Dwarves Dwarf Landeren. Um, Tour of Guangxi. Chris, Guangxi is still happening in October. Flanders on October. And then the Vuelta on October 20. So uh, you're, if, you, if you do all three tours, um, Kudos to you. So August 29 for the tour, October 3, you can't, you can't do um, August. Yeah, you could do that in September. Okay. So you could do the tour, throw in the Giro really quick, and then maybe recover just enough. Uh, I don't think there's enough time. Giro, October 3 to October 20. Nope. 
not if you're doing a full three, uh, three week stage race. So you can't do the Giro and the Vuelta this year. Okay. That's uh that's uh it could be a bummer. Um, so yeah, so we had, we had, those are some dates that they have Perry Bay, October 25, and they're still going to look to finish the season out, uh, October 30. Well, actually the season will finish with the Volta because October 31 will be, uh, in Lombardia. Um, but the end date will not be there. So here's some ones with the end dates. Um, November, they're still doing, oh, Perry Roubaix is the 25th. Yeah. I don't know. So it's, um, it's a little bit interesting what they have planned. And hopefully, hey, look, we'll get compact all these in here and all this media that attention that's been waiting to happen until the end of the tour or the tours happen. Um, looks like we're not going to get them until three months just crammed all into it. So that should be pretty interesting. How about some national championships as far as um, cycling goes? So, look, we've also heard here and I'll get back to it a little bit later that um the USA Cycling is uh, now at the 31st of um, the year they're going to start um, allowing permits to go. So, uh, sorry, 31st of, of, of May, they, they expire of, of them not doing it. So there's a little bit of update. They were continuing national emergency. USA Cycling will extend its suspension of all issued permits for sanctioned events, including USA Cycling rides blah, 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 through May 31. USA Cycling is currently working with our stakeholders, blah, 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 more about that and whatever. Okay, mountain biking, national championships, I believe those have been postponed. Postponed. Um, we'll go through a few of these here because kind of look at what we have to do. Um, USA Cycling Elite Track, we're not going to worry about that quite yet. Their website is one of the worst ones here. Uh, junior Track. Masters Nationals Track, Cycling Grand Fondo, USA Cycling Collegiate, I think has been postponed. Um, mountain Bike, USA Cycling. Where is our Masters Road and Amateur? There we go. Cycling Amateur um, still says it's postponed. So it was supposed to be here in July. They haven't got a place. And look, you can probably have a little bit of a problem with trying to schedule some of these with uh, towns and whether those towns actually want you to uh, come to their place or not. So uh, postponement likely for Cedar City uh, Masters, which is set for, I think, July 30. So that is likely to be postponed as well. That's kind of the latest we have going. So we don't really have any indication as to any of these events, what they're happening. Not like the UCI calendar where it looks like they're good and ready to go. Okay. All right. Well, what about some things that make you go, hmm? Well, here we have interesting little story. Mid-season, you know, look, not much going on, so you're going to try to get some interest in some controversial stories. And mid-season transfer of Chris Froome. Um, interest with Bahrain McLaren. Landa saying, what the... F right. Reminiscent of 2013 Tour de France, where defending champion 2012 winner Bradley Wiggins uh, wins and then they come into you know the the Giro and he gets the the ability to lead that he doesn't get selected for the tour team and it appears that Team Ineos um, their idea where they they support Bernal rather than Froome is a big indicator of this so is it wise to send Froome out to another team mid season so that's the the prospect you have two prospects here the pros and the cons of doing so and what does uh, Ineos have in mind for actually getting rid of him right? There's some pros for that. And then there's some cons for that. Um, 
First of all, is it wise to send Froome out to another team midseason? Cons, Brunel could stumble at the tour. Uh, he could get injured prior or during and then not have any kind of backup plan. So this is kind of what you saw Sky so many times doing in the Giro. They had Port, they had Wiggins, they had Thomas. They were going to be their lead guy in the Giro, not the tour. And then they go and Thomas crashes on stage four up that uh, volcano mountain. No good. Port doesn't do his thing. Uh, Wiggins can't handle it. So you don't really have uh, a winner. And then you have to bring in, when they finally did, and they brought in Chris Froome, he ends up winning it. Pros, though. So that's that's a con, right? That's a con. You send um, uh, Froome over to uh, another team, and you don't have a, a good backup now. I think they do. They have Carapaz. They have, um, well, but Froome's a proven commodity for the tour. So is this, I mean, he's, he's still, I would say, better than, than um, possibly. Thomas, uh, Carapaz, uh, some of these other guys that you're maybe in question. But, you know, with his injury, that starts to put a little bit more of a question mark. And then the other situation is, do you give him to another team that could potentially rival you and have him beat your team, you know, in the tour? So you, you send him over to Bahrain McLaren. They're like, you're like, fine, you take him this season. Once again, Landa's like, but I, I'm, I just got, okay. And then he ends up um, rivaling them and possibly winning the tour. And then that was the guy you just sent over there. But what are some pros for sending him? Well, he could be worth more now as a commodity uh, than a team asset. So in other words, you'll get more money for selling him now than the value of keeping him, right? He's been injured. He's won the tour many times. And at this point, Ineos is flush with riders who are also have a great future. You know, Bernal, Carpaz, and Thomas, like I said. So... You, if you wait next year and you try to get rid of him and he doesn't do well at the tour, now you've had this diminishing return that you didn't get anything out of. And you could get something out of him this year, especially in light of if a team is willing to pay you money to take over his contract. This is in light of what the situation is on the ground with our economics right now. You're in dire straits. This is a big, big contract. You can get definitely get something for him. Um, Bahrain. Um, as it is now, it's run by Rod Ellingsworth, formerly of Sky and Ineos. Uh, the connection to Froome is strong. Also, Ellingsworth has admitted he's got interest with Froome. Uh, Landa has to be <laughs> wondering what is going on here. He came from Movie Star, so that in his view, you know, he'd come here and have a team to take over because Nibali was gone, um, and he seemed to, it was like an infection that he just couldn't get away from. And always, you're the leader, but you just not end up being the leader. So he moves to Bahrain. He's outright mantle, and now Froome sweeps in nabs the ring right out of his hand. Uh, but if, like I just mentioned, you watch the Netflix series, you'd see that Landa had his chances in the 2019 Giro. He was fourth place. And then again, in the Tour de France, he was sixth place. So he's not without his chances. I think he's an amazing rider. But is this going to be the situation that he uh, that he really likes? And is this the best for Bahrain McLaren? I, I, we actually, we don't know. Um, how about some winners and losers? UCA, USAC's ban on event permits, as I mentioned, expires the 31st of May. It will then release its return to racing and racing event guidelines and toolkit. Um, depends on your attitude on the announcement. Um, if it's a winner or a loser, could be a winner for you. Um, if you want to get out there and race, it could be a loser for you. If you're more of that, I'm scared to leave my house type of thing. So um, depends on what it, and actually, it's not, if you're scared to leave your house, it's if you're scared that other people are leaving their house. That's really what your concern is. Uh, Strava, Strava, kind of a, is it a loser? I don't know. Quite literally makes you pay. They came out. This means that starting, I think it was just last week, a few of their features. This is, this is what their, their little 
quote and post was for Strava. This means that starting today, a few of our fee features that are especially complex and expensive to maintain, likely segment leaderboards, like segment leaderboards, will become subscription features. And from now on, more of our new feature development will be for subscribers. We'll invest the most in the athletes we have invested in us. Okay, you pay, they give you something. We've also had subscriptions more straightforward by removing packs and the brand of Summit. You can now use Strava for free or subscribe. Simple. That's what they said. Uh, this focus on subscription ensures that Strava can serve athletes decades from now and in an upfront way that honors the support of the athletes we serve today. We plan to take what we earn from these changes and reinvest straight back into building more and better features, not devising ways to fill up your feed with ads or sell you personal information. We simply want to make a product so good that you're happy to pay for it. And um, that, that was their little post on uh, Strava. Uh, personally, I'm perfectly fine with that. I paid for Strava for quite some time. It's not a super expensive, you know, once a year you pay what, 40, 50 bucks or something like that. You get all the features you want. It's perfectly fine. Um, I get people that want to have all the, the bells and whistles, but uh, they don't want to put anything into it. It's, it's fine for you as well. My only um, concern with this is that I saw VeloNews do a, I think it was VeloNews, do a podcast with Phil Guyman, and the headline was basically, um, Phil's all for this, and he supports it, and he's going to tell you why. I didn't listen to it. I just He's one of those guys that if he's for it, I'm very suspect of it. That's <laughs> My cynical dislike of, of Phil Guyman. Should we go into episode 175 and then we'll cash this out? Kind of talk about some what what uh, what went on for uh, when I talked to, to to Paul Mitchell. Once again, thank you, Paul, for coming on. I really appreciated it. I thought it was uh, helpful. I thought it was helpful for a few reasons. One, um, people could just listen to us. They can see the differences there. If they felt there was holes in one theory, they were well to to see that because. It's, you know, disinfectant, uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant, so to speak. Well, and actually quite literally in this case, I believe as well, with science maybe proving that or not. The point is that you just let each of us say what you want. You know, he said some things that I was uh, disagreement on and, and just let him go. I said some things that he was probably in disagreement and just let him go. Um, look, I'll do a quick little observation of some of the, 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 the comments but he's not here to defend himself again, so I don't want to get into any kind of debate. Um, I thought he served himself well. He put his points out there. And, and then I didn't feel that some of the unnecessary comments on the Facebook page were, well, they were unnecessary. You can you can talk about your dislike of his positions. You know, you don't have to name call because it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't. If you're just like, oh, you're a keyboard warrior, what are you doing to dispel... Um, what he put out there. Cause I think Paul put them out there in the best he could and with, uh, without too much, um, you know, uh, hyperbole, so to speak. So I thought, it, I thought it was fine. Um, but look, I thought I'd make some points here. He has a serious heart condition. He's chosen to ride during this year, uh, with, with the condition. He said, I couldn't get over 150 beats per minute. So he takes on a huge risk for he himself and his family. He's willing to do that. Should we all be able to tell Paul what to do with his own ailment? I believe not. He had mentioned, hey, your freedom ends at the end of your fist, right? So there's, you can do whatever you want, but you can't, you know, only as far as your fist goes and you can't uh, be punching me in the face. Totally understand. My problem with that is if people are out, if you see me out in the, you can't use it as a weapon either. If you see me out in the field 
and I'm out there swilling my arms around, you do not have the right to come within that, that arm's length and get hit in the face and then blame me for it. And I feel that that's more of the prospect here with what we're doing. If you guys, you know, we have taken a whole society and instead of those ones that are most at risk, we've decided to lock up everybody. And so if people are out doing and they decided to do that kind of stuff and their, their freedoms to, to do what have you and ride their bikes and you have a problem with that, um, you can isolate yourself. You can take your family and isolate yourself. You don't have to isolate those that are not concerned. And there's the assumption of the risk issues we have here as well. Um, so your liberty ends at my arm. I get it. Um, but I think that there's two, two sides to play to that. Um, people will also adhere to guidelines no matter how wrong they've been. That was kind of what he said. He goes, look, the uh, rules change from one day. They change to the next. I'm, I'm sure we all check the guidelines and I'm fine with them being wrong. But when they drastically change and they often override what was previously known or in place, uh, shouldn't that sound some alarm bells for all of us out there? Um, not requiring people to wear masks, as told by the CDC, may have caused unknown deaths. That was one of the things I pointed out. But it should also give us cause that we're, if someone, your spouse, your kids, just, uh, your business partner lies to you outright once or has a misstatement of, of facts or misunderstanding that caused some problems, one time out of 10, it's going to be significant for you to believe the next, you know, eight, 10 times that it comes up because there's that one time that's been a problem. So look, lied to get us into or misunderstood the facts on the ground to get us into the Iraq war. Do you then to believe everything they say thereafter? You can keep your doctor if you want your doctor. These things happen, okay? And who knows what the, the purpose really is behind those comments by those officials, at, you know, Bush and Obama as example uh, at the time, but you then don't just take everything they say as gospel. And, and I actually mean that in the gospel sense. Um, there was a assumption of the risk is kind of a, and I'll just let it go from here. Um, I think that we all have that ability to every day, if you think there is, and I gave an example of this MS 13, it was somewhat outrageous, but it was a, Hey, do you, you going to turn your family and friends in for that? Um, it wasn't answer, actually answered. If you listen to it, um, I'm sure he wouldn't need, necessarily need to answer, but it wasn't necessarily answered. So it doesn't mean that he agrees with it or that he would do that. Maybe he just didn't like, he thought my hypothetical was uh, full of crock. Anyway, I, once again, I appreciate him coming on. I hope that we can just move past some of this stuff so that we can start getting out there, start riding our bikes, start being more, a little bit more community or, oriented and, um, you know, kind of not have to necessarily concern ourselves with everything else that is going on. So look, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you're able to get out there and race. We're going to start. I don't know if we're doing group rides. Someone tell me tell me if that's if that's gay. Oh, and I have uh, one more suggestion here before we head out because um, it's been a it's been a fun episode. But I need some new sunglasses. Okay, I need new sunglasses for riding this year, and I don't know what kind to get. What's cool? What's in? I only get glasses make once every ten years, so I have some Oakleys that I need to replace. Give me your suggestions. Episode 176, Between Two Wheels Podcast. Thank you once again, everybody. Um, hang in.